Hey, this is Joseph Zala, and this is Grits and Grits, a weekly discussion with restaurant and beverage industry designers and professionals on all things creative. Thanks for tuning in. What's up, everyone? Yeah, so this is actually the first recording that launched the podcast. And as a result, I have to start this one off with a bit of an apology because this recording happened over a conference call line and it does not give my guest nearly enough um, weight and respect as it should. So this week we have Denise Lee on. She has been an author. She's been a mogul in the branding industry for quite some time. She's worked with big names, large and small, and has done amazing, great things. And she also wrote the book, What Great Brands Do. Um, So this is actually a recorded conference call that happened in a room that has a lot of echo. So my apology is that although it may be rough, it's actually really great content. And I think you're going to pick up a lot of information from this episode. So I'll leave it at that and uh, hope you enjoy this. And please, again, thank you for overlooking the poor production quality. Um, Enjoy. So my name is Denise Lee Yan, and I have been in business for over 25 years. Um, I am currently a speaker, consultant, and uh, writer in brand building. And um, prior to starting my own business 12 years ago, I had about um, 15 plus years of um, uh, experience on the corporate and agency side. Nice, nice. Um, and so in that corporate and agency world, was that in brand building or was it kind of all over the board? When I was on the agency side, I worked at a couple of agencies as an account planner, so um, responsible for kind of um, strategic insights about the customer and about the business and about the brand. And I worked on some really great accounts, everything from Burger King to Land Rover. Oh, nice. That's great. Um, so you mentioned writer. I think that's how everybody would probably know your name, at least from the social media space and anyone that um, does any kind of reading on the topic of brand. Um, and I actually just finished What Great Brands Do, um, immediately a top ten book for me. <laughs> um, and I think what I really liked about it was it, it, it starts to put into words what branding really is, I think, in the creative field. Uh, a lot of creatives and designers think branding is just like this logo design, another word for logo design or something. Um, and then you start to really break that down into it's, it's granular, but I think it's well written, so it's not tedious to read at all. It's actually you know, very easy to read. Uh, so what was your reason for writing the book, and what, what made it uh, motivate you to pen it in the first place? Mm-hmm. Well, um, Kind of what you were just saying, Joseph, I think that um, there's been a lot of misunderstanding or misperceptions about what a brand is, and I think that that's caused people to question whether brands and brand building really have value in today's business environment. Uh, And I wanted to, you know, in my uh, way, kind of set the record straight and say, um, your brand is not your logo, it's not your name, it's not your tagline, it's not your advertising, it's not your PR, it's not your website, whatever. It is, but you know, your brand is what you do and how you do it. And if you 
embrace that notion and you run your business um, thinking about your brand in that way, um, not only is your brand an extremely vital part of your business, but I think that you will continue to um, grow and thrive no matter how competitive the business environment is. Right, right. Um, <clears throat> I know when I've written books, <laughs> the, the two that I've written have, I think, been out of frustration as well. Um, I think one thing that I like about what great brands do is it's super positive and at least the, the, the feel that I get is it's really easy to take what's being said um, and put it to use. And it's not that you get didactic with your delivery. It's more like here's some things to do, um, like right now. And it puts it into a real world and kind of brings it down to the level of, uh, I think, even uh, a small business owner, you know, maybe has only like one location retail. Um, you know, was that the intent, or do, you, or do you think it was more like this is what big brands do, and you know, good luck trying to figure it out? No, it was very important to me to write a book that wouldn't just present ideas, but actually would also include tools and methods and exercises. And so, as much as possible, I tried to do that in the book. It's it's difficult, and you know, in a hardcover kind of you know words on a page, um, and especially because I um, had published my book with a traditional publisher, so I couldn't do a lot of, like, graphics and things like that. So it's kind of hard to convey um, brand tools and methodologies, but as much as I could, I really tried to do that because I did want to show people that, you know, hey, this is stuff that anybody can do, um, and furthermore, it doesn't cost a lot of money. I think that's one of the misperceptions about a brand building is that it, it involves, you know, a huge marketing or advertising budget. And I want to say a lot of these exercises are more like strategic internal exercises that you need to undergo as a business leader or as a brand manager. And if you do these things, you know, if you follow these steps, you'll actually gain kind of the brand clarity focus that you need. So, um, and, you know, I guess the last point I'll make is something that you kind of just stressed a little bit, which is that, I really did try to include a full range of different kinds of companies and different kinds of brands in my book. Um, it, unfortunately, or, or I, I guess it's not surprisingly, most people glommed on to like the big examples that I use, like, you know, talking about Starbucks or Nike or, you know, Patagonia, like kind of, the, you know, the usual brand suspects, you know. Um, but I think if you actually read the book um, with the intent of looking for examples of small businesses or B2B brands or things like that, you will actually see those in the book as well because um, this brand-building approach that, I, that I'm recommending and advocating um, does apply to all different kinds of companies and, and brands. You know, it's interesting. You know, obviously, I, uh, I'm focused on restaurants, but – a couple of restaurants you mentioned in the book, and I think more specifically, Chipotle has been like this golden child for, I would say, the last like four or five years, especially when it comes to restaurant startups. And then I would say there's restaurants that are sort of dinosaurs that are clamoring to fix something. Um, what I love is that you, you called them um, brands, like cheaper than, better than, faster than, um, and I think what, what's interesting is they've hit a huge bump, Chipotle has. And what are your thoughts on why it happened and how they can recover? Will they recover from a brand perspective? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still quite bullish on Chipotle. Um, the recovery has taken 
a lot longer than I had expected, um, and I'm not sure that um, the company has handled the recovery as well as it could, um, but I think that fundamentally Chipotle is a great brand. I think that what they stand for and what they're trying to do, the changes that they're trying to make in the fast food supply chain um, and in the relationship with the customer um, are, are really important changes that I think customers really value and that ultimately um, will prove out to be successful. Um, you know, it's unfortunate that the, the crisis had to happen to them, but it's almost in a way, um, I, I wouldn't say it was inevitable, but I think that it exposed the problems that we have in our food supply chain that uh, when the reason why so many fast food companies are so standardized and so processed in their food supply chain is because it provides that safety and consistency that is needed when you are at scale. And I think that, you know, what Chipotle and everyone else discovered is that it's hard to challenge that, you know, when you're working with lots of different suppliers um, and, you know, working with lots of different distribution, problems are bound to happen. And so, um, like I said, it, I think it's unfortunate that it happened, but I think that um, Chipotle still has an opportunity to recover, and I think that the industry in general has an opportunity to get better as a result of what happened. It's just, it's just taking a lot longer than I think anyone would, would have wanted or, or hoped. Yeah, I agree. It's uh... It's interesting. I thought they would bounce back a little bit quicker as well. Um, you know, the more I thought about it, from, from my point of view, and this gets kind of granular into that industry, probably more than most people want to hear, but um, they had they had a lot of problems with uh, HR, like with their with their people, and I'm wondering if that also maybe had something to do with it. Like, you know, if you have a generally unhappy group of employees. Things like norovirus, which is essentially just dirtiness in a lot of ways, um, are going to happen a little more frequently. And I think Chipotle has done such a great job with their outward-facing, um, you know, passion, but I don't think to date it has trickled inward as much as it should. And that's, that's one of the things that you covered in the book that really popped out at me um, is how stakeholders are way beyond just the people that eat the food or uh, in another industry, like buy, purchase the, the, the goods, and that it really is an inside-out thing. And I think that might be something that was really missed with them for a long time. I'm not sure how familiar you are with franchising, but that seems to be a huge problem with that business model. Would you tend to agree? Um, I am fairly familiar with franchising because I've worked with a lot of franchise businesses. And... Um, you know, I'm not sure that I would go to the extent of saying that um, the, like, inconsistency or um, kind of yeah, execution problems are inherent in a franchise model. I do think that they're a lot more difficult. Um, but, uh, you know, I think um, it, it's more a matter of size and scale, it, whether you have, you know, a thousand units that are franchise owned or whether you have a thousand units that are company owned, I think you're still you're still going to have the problems that you have with a distributed workforce, a lot of, you know, part-time um, 
I want I know transient is the right word, but kind of transient employees, you know, who may not really care about what you're doing um, or what they're doing, you know, um, and and then you have a, and then you have like kind of the challenges of, of trying to empower your managers, your restaurant managers, but at the same time um, ensure alignment and consistency. So I think the the, the problem is more scale than it is franchise, and if you're if you engage your franchisees. Um, appropriately, as I would say, a chain like Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen has, um, you know, you still run into those problems. But I think that um, you know, you you can minimize them, or you can build systems, and you can build a culture that maybe compensates for the problems that inherently um, accompany that scale. Yeah, and I think it, you know, it's also one thing that I've seen, at least in my my travels has been most brands don't really onboard their franchisees or licensees, depending on the nomenclature. They don't really do a good job of uh, onboarding on the brand. It's, it's like operations training, check, here's some marketing, you know, here's how you're supposed yeah. to hire the boxes, but they never really talk about how important the brand is in upholding it. I think Coldstone Creamery is a good example of that where they blew up so quick, and now you have these uh, – uh, I think transient is the right word. You have these transient people that are forced to sing these songs that they don't want to sing because they don't believe <laughs> at all. Yeah. No, I I'm, I agree with you. Um, and so that's why. Um, so I wrote a second book. Um, it was an e-book companion to What Great Brands Do. It's called Extraordinary Experiences, What Great Retail and Restaurant Brands Do. And in that, I, one of the brands that I profiled was um, – uh, Jason's Deli. And the reason why I profiled them is because they actually do a fantastic job of onboarding everyone, franchisees as well as, you know, all employees on their brand and on their values. And, but the reason but you know, it's kind of almost um sad that I that I'm pointing them out as an exception rather than, you know, the rule because to your point, most companies are much more concerned about the operations and execution and don't realize that the brand, um, the grounding in the brand and kind of the, the infusion of the brand and everything actually helps those things. I think that they kind of, a lot of companies think that the brand is kind of like a fluffy layer that you can kind of put on top if you have time or you have the, you know, attention or whatever. And that's, I think that's part of the problem. Yeah. Yeah, I would tend to agree 100%. Um, it's tough, though, I mean, because essentially the, the types of folks who get into franchising, um, the ones that are most successful from what I've seen are the ones who are so operationally focused. Um, you know, and I guess, you know, it's not bad. You, you can create a, a successful, quote-unquote, business um, just by pushing numbers around. Uh, but there are so many terrible things that happen when there isn't an understanding of why things are done. Um, and I think that leads to, uh, again, I, I harp on that, that one-liner, or not the one-liner, but the, the word that you use, the ER brands. Um, you know, bigger than, better than, cheaper than, whatever. Um, I think that's the big thing that leads to it is they, they don't get it. So all they can do is pin themselves against what they know as the uh, category leader or what they perceive as a category leader. So how do you, how do you begin to rethink or reapproach brand thinking uh, in, in the restaurant space specifically? Because um, it seems like these brands, new and old, can't get past the whole good product, good service is enough like mentality, that's their thing. Like, oh, we'll have great service in our 
our pizza is amazing, and you know it's kind of hard to pull them out of that. How do you approach that, or how do you get them to rethink that? Right, right. Well, I think it's. It, I mean, it starts at the beginning, or at least ideally, it starts at the beginning with why are you opening this restaurant in the first place? And I think that um, far too often, you know, I always see that everyone thinks that they can run a restaurant. Everyone wants to run a restaurant, and part of the reason why they do this is because they go down to their local sandwich shop and they're like I could do this so much better like how hard is it to have a great tasting sandwich with you know clean in a clean restaurant with good service and so they end up kind of starting almost for the wrong reason I think Um, and so then I think if you get into this trap of the Ur brand where it's like okay well we're going to open our own sandwich shop but it's just and it's just going to be like the one down the street but we're going to be better or you know are we going to have fresher ingredients or you know and and I think that you just um, that your starting point almost um, locks you into that kind of thinking whereas I think that if you were to start a brand a restaurant brand because you saw, um, you know, a hole in the market or like a, a need that the customer had that wasn't being served, um, then all of a sudden I think you start the oppor- the um, options for how you design your restaurant and how you design your experience be- become you have so many more opportunities. So, you know, the example here would be um, Sweet Green, the kind of, you know, salad, healthy a restaurant chain that's just kind of blowing up right now. Um, you know, the, the reason why those three guys started that chain is because they wanted a convenient, healthy way to eat while they were students, and economical way to eat while they were students um, uh, at, at um, I think, Georgetown. And, um you know, kind of thinking, hey, you know, this is a need that people have that we think we can really fill, um, and let's do it in a way that expresses our values and um, that really makes a difference in our community and makes a real difference in people's lives. You know, they started from a very different point, and I think that's why they've done so well is because, you know, they're not out to just, you know, do something – um, incrementally better than if someone else are trying to do something completely different. So to get back to your question, I guess I should say, to be fair, I, I, I don't know if you can, um, I, I think rethinking or reapproaching um, brand in the space, I think is getting back to your core purpose and figuring out really why are you in this business? You know, what is the, what is the legacy or the dent in the universe, as Steve Jobs would say, that, that you want to make? And why is that important? And, you know, what would be missing if you didn't do this? And I think kind of um, centering your efforts around that, um, a more meaningful, um, more transcendent purpose will help. Yeah, actually, I like the almost the um, backing into it a little bit, and I think that might be an easier way to think about like what would be missing if you were gone. That's that's a really mm-hmm. powerful question. That <laughs> it's almost polarizing. You're like, oh God, wow, what would be missing? What a, a good deal? <laughs> um, yeah. A yeah. Today? <laughs> yeah, and um, I think that you know most people, if they were honest with themselves, would be like, probably not much because someone else would just do it and they would do it exactly the way I'm doing it because it's the easy way to do it. I mean, you know, so, yeah, I think um, actually one of the exercises that I do with some of my clients, and, I, and um, it's in my in the book, What Great Brands Do, is to um, actually have them write 
an obituary for their brand as if their brand died. And it's kind of, it sounds a little bit morbid and sounds kind of depressing, but I think oh, no, yeah. what it does, it, it does get people to think about, okay, really, what difference are we trying to make here? And, um, you know, why would people um, miss us? Um, in other words, why would people value us? Right. Yeah. Yeah, like what, what did we do to make that person's day a little bit better by being there, um, or at least a little bit more memorable? That's mm -hmm. smart. Um, and I don't think it's morbid because I think, especially in the restaurant industry and beverage industry where things, I mean, brands come and go. I mean, God, I've worked on a number of clients that, the, the greatest of visions, you know, it was going to be the game changer. And then five months after opening, the doors are closing. So the reality of a fast death is there. Um, and if you don't understand, like, what you're doing to make the world a better place, then why would anyone else anyway? Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Really smart. So um, I think one, one thing that it's, you know, so easy for brands to do is to latch onto trends. You mentioned fresher um, and healthier, uh, that angle that Sweet Greens has become known for. I mean, they certainly weren't the only ones doing it, but there's a little bit of magic. I think it may, it may have been a lot to do with location, D.C. being such a huge health central, uh, centric, a centric place. Um, mm -hmm. But whatever the case is, I mean, they're growing. They're making a dent in the universe, um, even though they're – on what may be considered a trend, but what's looking to be less trendy and more, this is just how people want to eat now. Um, how do you, yeah. what if a brand is actually, their, their inception is essentially trendy, um, how do you make sure that you're not a trend follower and more of a trend setter? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, I do think it is constantly kind of pushing the envelope and not not being satisfied, like always digging deeper for, you know, um, how could we be meeting our customers' needs better? Um, you know, and to your point, like if we, if we are part of a growing movement, you know, just a year down the road, people, the competitive landscape has changed. So you need to kind of be thinking, okay, well, now that all these other competitors exist, what is our differentiation? And really kind of what is the reason is our purpose still being fulfilled in a way that is distinctive and memorable? Um, just as a side note, I wanted to mention to you that um, I think you're absolutely right that Sweet Green probably had an advantage where they started, but I was really um, pleasantly surprised. Uh, just last week I was in Palo Alto, so, um, you know, this wonderful kind of bubble of a place in California where everyone's beautiful and fit and, and you know, concerned about health. And, um, you know, I was, I was walking down the street and saw um, that they had opened a sweet green there, and there was a line out the door. And I thought, now that shows – and I don't know how long the store is open, so maybe they could be, like, benefiting from some grand opening kind of thing. But I kind of just thought that shows that there, this concept resonates even in a, in a 
um, in a consumer environment where they have lots of competitors and lots of people who are kind of right. in that space. There's, there is something about the concept and kind of the way that they're operating that I think, it, it, you know, maybe it is magic, um, but I think it really is kind of something that where they're telegraphing to their customers, they know what they really want. But um, I will say that, you know, in general, what happens a lot, especially in fast food, is that, um, you know, in the, in the constant drumbeat to create news and to drive traffic week over week comps, you know, um, you just tend to, like, kind of look at what everyone else is doing and try to imitate them. And I think the, um, the probably the biggest example that I can think of right now is um, Burger King with their breakfast burrito. And it's mm-hmm. like, you know, okay, I get that breakfast burritos are very popular and, um, you know, and um, – you know, I can see why you would kind of think, oh, we should have our own breakfast burrito, but this is Burger King. This is the, it's supposed to be the king of burgers and of flame broiled meat and of have it your way and, and, you know, all these wonderful equities that this brand has, which I don't think any of them show up in this burrito other than that it's big. And so I think, you know, you, that there's a lot of temptation to do what everyone else is doing in order to drive the traffic, but I think you need to always be looking at things through the filter of um, what is our unique brand, what are we bringing to the table uniquely from our brand to the story? And and an example like the burrito from Burger King, I don't think that they've they've done that. Yeah, com- compounding that, I don't know if this is a regional thing, um, but their latest um, and greatest is the uh, – the Whopper burrito. Oh yeah, yeah, Whopper burrito or something. Yeah, no, you yeah. know, I just don't, I don't get it. <laughs> um, I, yeah. I think, I guess I do get it because Taco Bell is doing so well, I guess. But I, yeah, I don't. No. <laughs> yeah, I, I just was staring at the screen last night. I'm like, is that like, did that just happen? Did I just witness right. this? Is, uh, <laughs> that's a reality. <laughs> right. I mean, right. I, I think that goes to. Um, I guess the, the, the original question, um, not re-asking it, but, like, the, the thinking there is, like, how do you, you know, as Burger King, like, how do you reapproach this? Because maybe, maybe burgers is too limiting for a brand that has such a huge reach, and maybe that even the name itself has become uh, too limiting. You know, so may, maybe burritos or, or whatever is all fair game as long as it's big, you know, and maybe that's what's the real offering is we're going to be the providers of huge, almost like Dodge did with their vehicles, like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, screw your, your little, um, you know, your little hybrid. We're just going to make a meaty, huge engine inside of a car because <laughs> we are. Um, you know, so maybe that's a problem that starts with uh, something as basic as the brand's foundation and why, and then even the name, which... God, how ballsy would that be to, like, change the name right now? But, you know, Burger is in the name. I think that's, you know, we've done a lot of naming lately, and I think that's one of the biggest issues is trying to pull people out of the mentality that the name is directly tied to what you do. Um, You know, I think Burger King is case in point. I mean, now, now that now it seems like a burrito is totally off brand because it is because their brand is Burger King, but if their brand name were a little bit broader, maybe that wouldn't be so jolting as a uh, uh, skewed um, left turn, you know? Yeah, 
Yeah, I agree. If Burger King listens to this, feel free to send Denise and I both checks for helping you right. your- <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> um, who knows? Stranger things have happened. Let's put it that way. Right. Uh, I, I know, you know, running a blog and that sort of media, I know how many people, and I know, uh, interestingly enough, odd things about them, but what I don't know is who they actually are. So I've gotten some calls from folks who I just – I'm like, oh, you you read the blog. That's uh, honoring. I, I thought I was just throwing stuff into the ether um, for other people just to use. But um, so That's yeah, yeah, it's, it's you know flattering in a lot of ways. Um, what do you think? You know, just in your opinion, in your experience, what do you think the single most important thing missing from the food and beverage brand space is? What do you think they need to? Like if you had to sh- if you could shake the entire industry by the shoulders and yell one thing at them, what would it be? Oh gosh. Um, right now, I'm kind of on an execution kick, where it's all about operational excellence. Um, I think that you can have the best concept in the world, but if you're in-restaurant experience doesn't deliver on that consistently, then um, you're just not going to become a great brand. You know, I think um, it's one thing to have an idea. It's another thing to get your entire organization to execute on it. So, um, you know, for as much as I like, and maybe that goes to the – to my brand building principle, great brands sweat the small stuff. You know, it's all about the details of the customer experience and not all the big things that you, you promise and say in your advertising. Um, but I, and so you know, maybe it, it, it's a lot having to do with that, but I think just in general, um, you know, if your brand is what you do and how you do it, you better be doing that well every day in every restaurant. Um, so it's all about execution. That's what I would say right now. Yeah, yeah, I, you know, and I obviously agree with that. For me, it's really hard. It's, it's a hard question, which is why I wanted to ask it. Um, but it's hard for me to even answer as the person asking it because, you know, sweating the small stuff is so very important um, and that it, it's very broad. Um, but there's one thing that, like, continues to just – it's almost like a spear in my side when I see it is that mm-hmm. that's a brand that relies solely on discounting. Um, you touch on it a little bit with Lululemon, and uh, as an example of a brand who just doesn't, you know, they just don't discount. Um, and they also go with, like, the limited, like, we only make X amount of clothing, and then when they're gone, they're gone. And there's a lot of yeah. brands, especially, that are starting to do that in the restaurant space where it's like, no, I mean, we're going to make 100 donuts today, and if all 100 are purchased, well, then the doors close, you know? Mm-hmm. Um so it creates this demand, it creates this uh, exclusivity, but tell that to an operations person and you'll see someone go white and faint real quick. Um, right. So it, it, it takes a lot of guts, but, you know, Lululemon as the example, I would say, um, around here there's a, uh, a brand, whether they realize they're a brand or not, they are, called Holman and & Finch, and they – make burgers, and they only make a certain amount of burgers a day, and that's it. I mean, and it's usually sold out. So if you're trying to go there for dinner, you're not going to get a burger. Um, so this is really interesting, like uh, trying to kill that discount mentality that 
basically was the way of doing business throughout the 80s, 90s, and I would say even early 2000s. Um, so I have a ringer of a question. Tacos, okay. pizza, or hamburgers? What's your favorite? Oh. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I, I, my immediate first answer was tacos, and um, and, and particularly because I live in San Diego, so we have, like, the best yeah. tacos, and particularly street tacos have really kind of come into their own here. But then I'm like, oh, but what I could do for a great burger, like from Shake Shack or In-N-Out or, you know, <laughs> or, and then, you know, and then, and then I used to live in Chicago, so I'm like, oh, pizza, oh, Chicago pizza. So I, I, I love food. I actually will admit that I love fast food. I mean, it's not. Um, I, I won't be ashamed <laughs> to claim it. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I just I love eating. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Me too. I love eating, and I hate running. Uh, one, I have to force myself to do, and the other one, I have to force myself to stop doing. <laughs> Right, right. Well, so no, what you need to do what I do, which is what actually I did this morning, which is as you're running, think about all the food that you ate and how you need to pay penance for it. Oh, God, I need to get in the habit of, like, uh, wine tasters instead of eating, the, you know, just chew the food and spit it out or something because working with all these restaurants is definitely taking its toll. But, um <laughs> Yeah. So last question, and then we'll wrap it up. I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff to really chew on. It's awesome. Um, what's next for you? What, what, what's on the horizon? Is there anything you're, you're itching to tell people? Uh, or is it all hush-hush and follow you on social? <laughs> Um, well, um, I am working on a new book, and I, I, I am not ready to kind of publicize the topic or anything yet, um, but it will be building off this idea of brands um, and what great brands do, because I, I love brands. I love thinking about them. I love working on them. I love um, inspiring and teaching people about them. And so, you know, my overall goal um, is to um, do as many speaking engagements as I can so that I really get to talk to as many people about brand building and, and my ideas. And so um, this book, this new book, will hopefully provide yet another platform for me to do that. Unfortunately, it probably won't come out for another year or so, but um, it's in the works. Oh, God, I, I feel I feel your pain. I, I've been rewriting my first book for a year and a half now. It's, uh, and when I say writing, I've been using it as an excuse to feel guilty for probably too long. Oh, it, is, it takes such discipline. Um, Maybe this will be a little fire under my rear to get it finished up. But um, All right, let's wrap it up. That's awesome. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time out of your day. I know how valuable it is. Um, you know, so if you want to, I guess, learn more about Denise, uh, where would they go? Yeah, um, please go to my website, deniseleeyan.com, um, and then um, we can always connect the way I think you and I connected, Joseph, which is on Twitter. My handle is Denise Lee Yan. Um, I, and um, on my site, you will find um, information about my books, uh, free downloads, um, free tools, and stuff like that, um, as well as you have access to my blog and my newsletter. Denise, thank you so much for being on. It has been an absolute pleasure. And there you guys have it. I cannot thank her enough for being a part of this and actually being the one who sparked this idea of the podcast. Follow us at Grits Grids on Twitter and Instagram. And please tell all your friends. Until next week.